Massachusetts policymakers are in love with offshore wind. They see it as an emerging industry offering jobs, economic investment, and perhaps most importantly, a path forward for meeting the state's climate change goals. But the state's love affair with offshore wind is not shared by all. On Cape Cod, where some of the early wind farm developers want to bring their power ashore, some residents are opposing the plants because of the damage the projects might do to their local beaches and communities. Welcome to the Codcast. I'm Bruce Mole of Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by two Cape residents, Suzanne Conley of Barnstable, who is fighting to protect Dowes' beach, and David Buzanowski of Falmouth, who is opposing transmission lines in that community. Suzanne, let's start with you. Tell us sure. a little bit about your background and how you got into this fight. Okay, I'm Suzanne Conley. Um, I uh, retired a number of years ago as a senior executive from Massachusetts Public Higher Education, moved down to Cape Cod, which I knew pretty well from years of vacationing here and visiting here uh, in 2016. Um, be because of the proximity of Dowsa's Beach to the home we purchased, uh, I became very interested in hearing about this proposal to bring offshore cables uh, into Delsa's beach. And uh, we'll get into why we think that's a huge problem in a bit. And before we go on to you, David, what tell us a little bit about Dowsa's beach. What, what is it, why is it special to you? It's special to a lot of us in Barnstable because unlike the other two places that are facing the same issue, Colville's beach and Craigville beach in Centerville, Dowsa's beach is actually a very complicated estuarine environment it features a double embayment. It is um, the Centerville River is uh, the mouth of the Centerville River drains into the larger of the two bays and really forms a watershed for a big chunk of, of uh, the interior of Cape Cod. It has become a because of its nature, a wildlife uh, refuge, uh, not officially, but the wildlife abounds uh, in front of the beach is a um, complex habitat that should be left untouched. And one of the features of, of the place is a handicap accessible fishing pier uh, that is used heavily by uh, members of our community who are mobility impaired. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, it's, it's accessed by a very narrow causeway. There's only one way on and one way off. And uh, it's just a beautiful Cape Cod treasure that, that is, is a beloved spot by not only people who live in Barnstable, um, but around the Cape, I think. David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, good morning. Um, uh, Dave Bozanowski. I'm the president of the Falmouth Heights Maravista Neighborhood Association. I bought a house uh, in the vicinity of Falmouth Heights, not in Falmouth Heights in particular, uh, uh, proper, um, but just outside the, the Heights area uh, in 1995 and moved here officially in uh, 2005. I'm also retired. Um, and uh, as president of the uh, the the, uh, the association, the neighborhood association, uh, you know, this issue came to our attention in 2020. Um, in 2019, uh, the, the administration um, made uh, an announcements about wind uh, turbines being placed offshore, and we didn't, certainly had no opposition to wind-generated clean energy. That is, that is not our issue. Our only issue came to light in 2020 when, at that time, Mayflower, the predecessor of Seacoast, uh, South Coast, 
uh, made it known that of their intentions of bringing their cables through Falmouth Heights. Now, Falmouth Heights is a is a different situation than than uh, Suzanne just described with Dowsis Beach. Uh, we have we have a broad beach that's very populated in the summertime. It's one of the most populated beaches in Falmouth, and uh, uh, South Coast has also made uh, overtures that they would either go through one or a second alternative site in Falmouth Heights, both of which would go under the same beach. Uh, their primary site uh, goes under Falmouth Heights Beach and uh, it will be horizontally directionally drilled beneath the beach. They say 20 to 30 feet below the beach, but it will come up in a, uh, a designated park, uh, a, a park that was donated to the, to the town as a gift back in 1903. And um, as such, uh, the, the, the deed of gift stipulated that this particular park shall always remain open to the public and unobstructed and shall never be built on. And here we are with a situation where um, they're going to right, go right up the length of this park. Um, so that, that is our primary issue. So Suzanne, maybe talk a little bit about what it is that's coming ashore. Uh, that sure. Just to give people a sense of size and scope. Sure. The um, the developer has proposed to land three uh, very large uh, cables. They're called offshore cables. Their diameter is approximately 10 to 12 inches. Uh, there would be three of them at Douses. They start drilling offshore. One of our big concerns is uh, the Sagamore lens, which is a feature of the sole aquifer, extends seaward from Douses Beach, um, and we do worry about any um, chance of um, uh, contaminating that aquifer if, if the drilling goes awry in some way or goes too deep. Uh, we just don't think it's a place to drill. And then they would come up under the beach and into a parking lot uh, where people park their cars when they're enjoying the area. And uh, they would install three 61 foot long, nine foot deep, eight foot wide underground electrical vaults in this parking lot uh, where the cables, the offshore cables would be turned into onshore cables. Um, with, it's a splice, they're splicing vaults actually. We have great issues about human health and safety related to the, um, the inclusion of this uh, really massive electrical infrastructure in such a recreational area um, following the installation of, of the duck banks and the splicing of the cables, they would then build a duck bank that would require them to trench the narrow causeway, which three times a year at least is two feet underwater. And then uh, when we worry about the integrity of that causeway, if something happens, there's catastrophic failure of that causeway, which is Something actually our, the town of Barnstable has, has worried about publicly in their filings, uh, there would be no more access uh, to that area. They then go through uh, very narrow historic residential streets in the village of Osterville and right through the very uh, prosperous and uh, well-known uh, business district of Osterville. It's a shopping center that attracts a lot of, um, especially vacationers and, and tourists and then go 6.7 miles uh, to a, a to be built substation north of Route 6 
that they originally said would be about 16 and a half acres. And they just recently told the, the Massachusetts EFSB that they like to make it 29 acres. And this isn't a part of Cape Cod where green space is really starting to be at a premium. Uh, across Cape Cod, undeveloped space is about 14% of the land. And in our area of Cape Cod, I think that's a huge sacrifice, uh, 29 acres. But that's essentially the sum of, of the, um, the, pro the proposed project. So um, for our listeners, the uh, Vineyard Wind Project, which is yes. the first, uh, it's going to be ho hopefully the first commercial scale industrial wind farm in the United States, mm -hmm. is, is coming uh, ashore at, uh, is it pronounced Co Covils Beach? Covils Beach, yes. Covils Beach, yes, on, on, on Craigville Beach. Yeah. And um, so I've been down there and they have a big parking lot where this is sort of coming ashore and sort of mm -hmm. like what she described, Suzanne, the cable was coming ashore and then it would go underneath this parking lot and then head off to a substation. Right. Um, and it and it was quite a massive undertaking during, yes. during the project. But I this morning I was looking at... Um, on Google at, at the at the parking lot and it looks like nothing you can't tell any trace of anything there, at least in my view. Yeah, and that's something the developers tout that, you know, they'll just be here for three years and once they're gone, you know, we won't even know they were here. Well, what they've left behind is eight hundred megawatts of electricity running under that particular beach. Um, for a comparison, Bruce the two cables that feed Nantucket Island, that light up Nantucket Island together, total 71 megawatts. Um, and max usage is usually about, our, our expert on our, our steering committee for Save Greater Delta's Beach tells us that max use is, is about 58 megawatts. They've, they want to put 800 under Covils and they have built those cables in. They intend in the Park City Wind Project to put 800 more megawatts under Craigville Beach, which is one of the more popular beaches on the Cape. But both of those beaches, we don't think either of them were a great idea, although we didn't have much to say about the Covils project. Um, they total 1600 megawatts. What they want to put under Douses is 1200 megawatts. Again, think of the, you know, compare that to, you know, the lines going out to Nantucket. And that was one thing the developer said to us early, what's the big deal? You know, lines go to Nantucket. And I looked it up. I said, well, this is a whole different kettle of fish, so to speak. And one of our issues, this is a Barnstable issue, should all three of those projects ever come online, the town of Barnstable would have 2,800 megawatts of electricity flowing under our streets, which is the equivalent to the electrical output of four and a half Pilgrim nuclear power plants. We think that's way too much power in one municipality, especially when there are much better options to land offshore wind energy. So that 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 sounds very alarming, but I just want to put it in a little context. It's not um, this power would be going to this substation. And the reason the developers have picked Cape Cod and perhaps Barnstable specifically is is because it's close to where they are. They it, they don't have to build transmission lines that far, so they can come in, acts, and then feed into the grid. So the power won't be used, you know, in Barnstable necessarily. It's going to feed out into the 
wider New England power grid. Well, that's exactly correct. And if, if I just may interject there, that's exactly one of our objections that as and as uh, Suzanne alluded to, there are better sites. Uh, there have been studies done by multiple uh, uh, well-known consultants, one of which is is known as the Brattle Group. And they recommended at a very early stage that uh, this power is needed basically on the mainland. And it, there's no reason for it to come via Cape Cod. There are industrial sites on the mainland, such as Brayton Point, for example, uh, which we, we applauded the, the, the South Coast uh, Mayflower at the time's choice of, of taking their first 1,200 megawatts there. Um, there, there. There should be a planned, coordinated effort in bringing these, these power cables ashore. There is no need for each and every wind developer to have a, a an independent cable going ashore, they could combine these in 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 adjacent trenches to go to one uh, industrial site, and and that's what we've been promoting since the very beginning. Um, there is no need to come via the Cape in in four different sites. Suzanne, did you want to yeah. add something to that? Yeah, I think you know, uh, I we understand um, American entrepreneurship. I would just say that their motivations are two. One, the federal government set 2030 as a, a sort of deadline that I think was unrealistic from the start and the state fo followed suit. So they wanted these things online and delivering energy by 2030. And so the developers um, are seeing an opportunity to make heavy profit, but they could only do so and reach that 2030 deadline if they use the quickest and quite frankly, least expensive way to land this electricity. What, what uh, Dave just mentioned is referred to as the planned approach. And this is very common. This, these are the lessons learned over in Europe that the, um, the power is actually gathered offshore by, uh, by an apparatus, a cable, really a big cable that lands in two, maybe three industrialized zones and delivers the energy to where it's needed most, and that's heavily populated areas. Um, coming to the Cape, we, we have an expert on our steering committee, and what he says is if you need a transfusion, they don't put it through your the capillaries in your finger. They put it in a you know a major artery. And, and that's, you know, I think an excellent analogy that this is a lot of power. I can't overstate that. This is so much power. And you know we have other concerns that are, um, I think, collateral, such as property values and um, and so forth. But the biggest, one of the, our biggest concerns, Bruce, is the fact that you're like, for example, three underground electrical vaults in a parking lot with hundreds of people on a beach. These things overheat constantly, and they are susceptible to smokers, fires, and explosions. The developer told us publicly, no, we can't guarantee that we'll never have that sort of incident happen. And I can't imagine it happening. And of course the, the uh, you know, the probability is remote, but it's there, it's not zero. And I can't imagine it happening on a 90 degree day on Dousa's beach in the parking lot with one narrow means of egress on and off that place with hundreds of people there on the beach. And that's what we've said to them over and over three years of construction and you know they keep saying we'll pave everything over you'll never know what we were here but it's there and um we have we have real concerns about human health and safety related to this amount of power being delivered to shore in this fashion 
is is the concern you you mentioned fires or or potential for fires or is there a is there a danger in your opinion of of just the power flowing through these cables out into the grid is that a danger to human health well one of the the um things we've been referring to very frequently my group are these brattle group reports and they've indicated that there's way too much power being planned to be put into the grid on Cape Cod, and that could lead to an increased number of outages, brownouts, blackouts, uh, grid failures, and you know uh, equipment failure, which um, I'm sure you realize could be catastrophic. It's just so much power, and um, which is why they promote the, the what they call the planned approach. It's what the industry calls the planned approach. Uh, the, the developer, when we talk to them, no, 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 we have, you know, we have it all set. We have to meet this 2030 deadline. Well, the new round of the, I think the third round of projects is just about uh, gone uh, and they're going to bid on the fourth round. And we think this is a moment in time. We met with some state officials yesterday and they were very good about hearing our concerns. And we told them this is a moment in time when you can ask these developers, hey, we we are interested in developers who want to land this power in ways that don't disrupt tiny coastal, you know, communities um, unnecessarily. So that's that's been our point all along that there are better ways to do this. Um, and there, you know, there are a number of things they they told the federal government. Our developer told the federal government they had um, looked at something called the South Coast variant which um, you know, veers off to the west and avoids uh, small villages. Um, and I, and you know, then the reuse of um, uh, power plants, as Dave mentioned, that were fired by coal and gas, and those are being retired slowly. Let's take advantage of the fact that they're grid proximate and, and give them new greener second lives. That, that just, they'll need a lot of upgrades naturally, but doesn't that make more sense? Than going through these little villages. And um, then finally, the planned approach is kind of the gold standard of uh, transmission from uh, the outer continental shelf. And if, if what we said, say to the state all the time is, let's slow down, let's do this, but let's do this right. And, and uh, it will last longer, it'll be less dangerous and less disruptive to so many lives. David, I think uh, Barnstable, uh, struck a deal with the developers, or at least some of the developers, to to do these projects. Uh, Falmouth, I guess it sounds like you're still the town is still up in the air about working with them. Is that right? I, I would say very much so. Um, uh, let me let me just go back and expand a little bit on what uh, um, Suzanne said, and I I sit stand I sit here nodding at everything she was saying, because we we agree a hundred percent. Uh, our issue is very similar to hers. The initial proposition from Mayflower at the time was to pull three cables of 12,000 megawatts into our community and seven miles up up the road to a, a newly built substation, very similar to, to Suzanne's situation. Um, they've, South Coast now has um, alluded to the fact that they anticipate changing from uh, from uh, high voltage uh, AC power to high voltage DC power. And that would reduce the number of cables needed possibly yeah. to one. Um, they have not yet refiled with the EFSB in Massachusetts officially stating that, but they've, they've made those announcements. Um, the, the question you ask about Falmouth, 
Um, there, there has been a, a an issue of of communication with the town. That's that's one of the problems. Uh, when they initially came to the town to to test several sites for feasibility, uh, they came and the town granted them permission to do testing, soil testing, without a commitment on the project from the town's side. And and Mayflower proceeded with those tests, but before they even came back to the town. Um, making a, an official uh, proposal, so to speak, they filed papers with the state of Massachusetts as if it was a fait accompli. Uh, and, and this is the way it's going to be. Um, and the, the, the primary site was uh, Worcester Court in Falmouth Heights. The second alternative site was Central Park, which is a, a ball field where kids play on, a, on every Saturday. There's hundreds of kids there. Um, so as of right now, um, the, uh, the the town has not granted um, South Coast further testing rights, um, and there there is ongoing discussion, but nothing has been resolved. Mm -hmm. And and what's the deal, Suzanne, with the the town of Barnstable uh, that these developers have? Is it has the town approved these projects, and now you're trying to? to upset that apple cart or, or, <laughs> uh, or how, how does that work? So the um, the Covils project uh, was approved uh, by the, um, through what's called a host community agreement uh, between Avangrid, Orsted and the town of Barnstable. And quite frankly, I'll be honest, no one in town had much of any reaction. There were, you know, a few people who questioned it, but it was like, well, that's good. You know, renewable energy is good. We've got to transition. So they had a host community agreement they're going to give the town some money over a period of 30 years or 25 years. Um, and uh, that was fine. They uh, have signed a host community agreement, I believe with uh, the Craigville project. Um, yes, they have. And um, so that one's done. The, the Douse's Beach project is extremely early in the permitting process. They haven't made it out of what of MEPA the Massachusetts Environmental Protection Act, they still have to submit something MEPA requires for them to move on to the EFSB. Um, but um, the town, because of the um, the nature of what's going on with the, you know, the reneging on the contracts and it's uh, things are a little bit up in the air, although the developer insists they're going to proceed and continue with their project, the town has actually halted uh, uh, discussions with Avangrid uh, on what is called a host community agreement. So um, that's where we stand. Just so our listeners understand this references to the third procurement and the, the projects up in the air as a reference mm -hmm. to these projects saying that the economic conditions that they sign their power mm -hmm. purchase agreements under are no longer really relevant because inflation and interest rates and the war in Ukraine have sort of turned everything upside down. So they're seeking to terminate those contracts rebuild mm -hmm. them in the fourth round, presumably at much higher prices. Yes. And, and then move forward. Um so it's a it's a it's a it's a very volatile time, as you say, Suzanne, in the yes. offshore wind industry in Massachusetts. Yes. And some um, news just came out about, you know, Siemens, uh uh they took a real big hit in the market yesterday. They they build uh the uh big um nacelles they're called and you know the guts of the wind uh the wind but again our group is just not against offshore wind power. We just don't want offshore wind power to be done in a way that uh, A, is not sustainable. B, is, is just, it's, it's, it's just not the best way to do it. 
Um, I'll, I'll say that this fourth round gives us an opportunity to just stop, take stock. And, you know, that's what we talked with uh, state officials about yesterday. Let's take stock and, and let's, I, I asked the state to step in and take more control over interconnection. That's what this industry calls this interconnection. And let's do it right. That, that's been our whole point. But I, would, I do want to say this, and you know, this has been a point of contention for me personally, um, and, and this is my opinion. Um, Russia invaded Ukraine, I believe in February 22. They signed their contracts in late April, early, early May 22. Right. So they knew the war had started. Steel prices had already tanked. Um, there were all sorts of uh, issues uh, in, you know, about the economy bubbling up. I think that they felt that they could just, you know, sign on the dotted line and then work it out, you know, with the state of Massachusetts. And frankly, as a citizen of the Commonwealth, I have to give credit to the people who stood their ground and said, no, you signed a contract and this is what you had you you know you have to abide by but you're absolutely right bruce new contracts will mean much higher prices and you know who's going to pay the much higher prices um yeah. so you know this is uh it's it's just not a great situation david i will, I will say if i could add one more thing the planned approach is by far the least expensive way to transmit energy from the outer continental shelf um, and and the Brattle Group has demonstrated the cost differential. It's extreme. So that not only are they taking a, a route that's disruptive to communities, they're taking a route that is most profitable to them, but um, is the most expensive eventually when it comes to upgrading our grid. Well, I think I think if I'm in hearing what you're saying, it may be that I think the coming ashore in the Cape is their cheapest alternative if everybody does it on their own, each project doing their own project. But what you're talking about is sort of consolidating a lot of these wind farms and Correct. the power producing and bringing it in in a central location, which would save money in the long run, but we're not, we're not quite there organizationally yet. So. Aside from just saving some money, yeah. there's also less environmental impact that's There's right. Le less onboarding of cables through residential neighborhoods, which which is our our major objection in both of our cases. Um, th this shouldn't be. Um, and again, we can't forget that as uh, Suzanne mentioned, the fact that this is twelve hundred megawatts. And do you realize how many watts there are in twelve hundred megawatts? <laughs> One point two billion watts. So, you know, from a young age, we've been taught not to stick our fingers in a socket or, or whatnot, um, not to pick up a live wire, but it's now okay to run 350,000 volts uh, under our front yards. Um, <laughs> there's certainly a stigma associated with that that I, I can't imagine anyone would willfully agree to. All right. Well said. Suzanne, Suzanne yep. Conley, David Buzanowski, yep. I want to thank you both for joining us today. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Bruce. Thanks for the opportunity.